Scripture reading today comes from the epistle of Galatians. We are going through a series in our life group, life groups and Sundays. And this past week, our life groups covered Galatians chapter 2. And so we are so grateful for the, the body coming together in the word. And I have heard people say it's so good just reading the Bible again and sharing it. And that's part of the joy, that the word of God Sometimes it doesn't need a supplement. It, it's just the double-edged sword of God. And when we read it and share it together, it does cut deep. So today we'll be reading from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Let us hear God's word. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite children to come up. I want to share a little illustration and a, and a story about what the gospel is. Would you come up? And volunteers and leaders, if you want to come up with them, you're welcome to come as well. And children, we have a place for you up here. Hi, Mana. Welcome. Good morning. Hi, boys and girls. Okay. So, so I, I get to do things that I, you know, at church that normally people say you can't do. So, does anyone know what this is? It's a, it's a Tootsie Roll lollipop. And I'm going to eat it. Mmm. It's so good. You know, pretend this is God's love of God. It's so sweet. When, we, when we're close with God, eating a candy reminds us of like God is so sweet and good. And so I want to share with you that the good news is that God wants us to be with him. And he has provided a way. So I want to illustrate this. So let's say I'm eating this lollipop. And this lollipop symbolizes us being accepted by God. God loves us and he accepts us. Do you have a lollipop? Would you like a lollipop? You guys want a lollipop? Okay. So here's a problem. Here's why we need the gospel. We can't have a lollipop. We can't be with God because we have what's called sin. Anybody know what sin is? Sin is anything we say, do, or we're born with it that separates us from God. So to try to bridge that, to try to cover that, it's hard. 
So I want to use this example. I'm going to give each of you a lollipop, but, and your parents had to let you eat it later after church, but I'm going to give you a lollipop, but you have to meet this requirement. You ready? If you can meet even one of these requirements, you'll get a lollipop. You ready? Okay, let's look. What are the requirements? First, you have to be born on January 13th, 1987. Anybody? You've already failed? Oh, my goodness. Should we look at the next one? All right, okay. You have to be married. Any of you married? No, no. Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking to the children. Teachers don't get a lollipop. Are any of you married? Mara, are you married? Manny, is Mara married? No. no that's like... All right, here's another one. Okay, perhaps this one. Are any of you a teacher at a school? Jonah, are you a teacher at a school? Do you teach physics in high school? No. Oh, no, this is not looking good. Okay, last one. Okay, we just need at least one. We just need at least one. This lollipop's so good. Loves Gonzaga basketball. Do you guys even know what? Evelyn said, what's that? I'm so sorry. Um, I can't give you a lollipop. None of you have, so none of you like Gonzaga. None of you is a teacher. None of you are married. No one's born in 1987. I'm shocked because you look like eight. So, so now is that fair? Well, it's not, it's not about fairness. It's just hard. And I have all these lollipops, but we can't have the sweetness of God and we can't share it. But hold on. What if somebody has all four of those things, and he can give it to you? Do you think there's somebody in this room that might, have, that might meet all four of those things? Oh, wait, let me ask. Miss Inchun, are you born on January 13, 1987? Oh, sorry, Joel. Joel was... Hold on. Is there anybody that fits all four things? Whoa, come on up. Come on up. Let, let's see. Hold on a second. When is your birthday? January 13, 1987. Woo! Wait a minute. Are you married? Yes, I am. All right. Lucky, lucky. Just this is all lucky. Are you a teacher, though? Yes, fifth grade teacher. Wow. What school? Santa Fe Springs Christian School. Lucky guess. Okay, last one. But this one, you can't hit this one. Are you, who's your favorite basketball team? Gonzaga basketball. Number one in the nation. <laughs> Does he meet all those? He does. And because he fulfills all the requirements, he gets the candy. Because he gets the candy, he, has a, he can do something cool. What do you think he could do? Yeah. Could you give each of them? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so boys and girls boys and girls this is the good news of Jesus Christ we couldn't satisfy everything because we're not perfect but when we were hopeless God sent somebody his son who met everything and through him we're able to receive God's love and to be close with God 
Did any of you do anything to receive this lollipop? No. Who did all the work to receive this lollipop? Nathan. Jesus is our hope. That's why we, we don't try to live better and harder to get loved by God. But through Jesus, we've been loved by God right now. And so that's why we say thank you, Jesus. Now we want to live better. Now we want to live good. And that's the good news. So, boys and girls, let's pray together and let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, for your good news that we can't do anything to contribute to being accepted by you. We could try to be cute or nice or try to live well, but we will always fall short. But thank you that Jesus was able to fulfill perfectly sinless all the things required by the law. Thank you that through Jesus, we can be your children and your family. We are so amazed by you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, boys and girls, you guys go back to your parents. Thank you. Now for the rest of the sermon, I'm just going to... All right. Now... Oh my goodness, thank goodness Nathan made it to church today. If he didn't, that illustration would have just fallen off. Um, but that's the gospel, isn't it? Um, how do you get right with God? Do we get right with God by going to church, being religious, signing up, and doing all the good we can? Do we get right with God by just being a loving, kind, good person? And surely, he'll go to heaven. The good news tells us we can't. We're, we're worse sinners than we think we are, and, but Jesus Christ loves us and accepts us more than we realize. And so this is what Paul is trying to convey, and any message that says otherwise is a burden. And so if I said to you, church, I want to give you a foolproof way to be accepted by God. Here's a list of 100 things you need to do starting right now. How would that make you feel? Like kind of burdensome and heavy. And so what Paul is trying to separate is there's grace. And then there is like works righteousness. And it's never through our works that we become received by God. It's never through a particular religion, religious activity. It is through a person. His name is Jesus. And so Apostle Paul, his conclusion is this. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law action, our obedience, our performance, then can we read that last part together? Here we go. Then Christ died for no purpose. And that's the premise of today's message. If we add anything to the good news to say, I go to church, well, now I got to start being good or else God will kick me out. Ugh. That if that's the case, then Christ died for no purpose. He, we are flawed. We are broken. Even the good people are equal to the bad people. We'll hear that in a short moment. And we need Jesus. And so the gospel is that we are in this hopelessness, but because God is a gracious Father, He gives us Christ. He gives us grace. And so Galatians 2, just a little background, we read that Paul is verifying the gospel to say that, hey, the message I'm sharing is the same message that the disciples are passing along. I, I went with them. I, it's legitimate. I didn't make it up. Paul, Christ came to me, and I verified it with, with people 
Um, and they, original disciples, have confirmed it. And Paul goes on and he says, I have a guy named Titus with me. And Titus was a Greek Christian. And Paul writes, Titus is Greek. He became a Christian. He didn't become a Christian by following the law because he didn't require circumcision. And in our small group, we said, as grown-up adults, males, we said, thanks be to God. Um, but Titus was not forced to follow the Old Testament law in addition to Christ. And as we dig through Galatians 2, those of you in life group, I hope you picked up on this. I, I know the Bible is real because instances like this. If the Bible was polished and made up by humans to look good, you wouldn't have this part in the Bible. You have raw truth of the Scripture of a conflict between two giants in the Bible. Who are the two giants that had a little tension? Paul and Peter. Like, I mean, Paul says this in his letter in the Galatians. I oppose Peter to his face. When's the last time you spoke like that? Nathan says, I oppose Pastor Jason to his face. Like, well, that's pretty harsh. I oppose my husband to his face. And then the second part, I not only did that, but I said it in front of everybody. I called Peter out. So why is that in the Bible? Because for Paul, it was so important that the gospel doesn't get tainted by anything we add on, especially by these false teachers who are saying you also need to be a Jewish law abider in order to be accepted by God. So Paul got mad at Peter because of this word that we all like hearing, and well, not like hearing, but we hear a lot, hypocrisy. Peter's hypocrisy was he didn't find grace through the law, but Peter, in some of his actions, was almost implying that others need to follow the Jewish law. He was eating with some people, and when the circumcision group came, Peter stopped eating with them, implying, oh yeah, you guys also you know, should do what you do. And so Paul said, that's not right. We don't add to the gospel. Um, so false teachers in Galatians saying, you must believe in Jesus, that he died and rose again, but unless you follow the Jewish laws, you're still not accepted by God. That's, that's not even twisted. That's just wrong. And so a lot of times um, we're reading a book. Uh, so Tim Keller wrote a Galatians commentary, and I love what he says. He says, modern churches do this this way. We say, hey, you know, you believe in Jesus, but unless you live a certain way, we're not going to believe that you are accepted by God. You better make sure you're surrendered. You make sure you live your life perfectly. Don't miss church. Stop cursing. If you don't do that, we don't know if you're a Christian. And liberal churches do it this way. You know what? Everybody, just love and kindness, that's all we need. And we, we're all accepted by God. And they don't even mention Jesus. So it's neither of these are the gospel. And so we do it today. Paul says we are sinners. God provided Jesus. He is our hope and our redeemer by grace. So following this law will never make us... Um, so this is the summary of the gospel. It's that we are hopelessly dead in our sin but we are loved and accepted in Jesus. That's good news. Doesn't that feel better than a list of 100 things you need to do? I mean, if I tell youth group kids, you got 100 things to do in your lifetime or else God won't accept you, that burden will destroy them. It'll make them kind of quit church. So 
Galatians 2.16, this is a New Living Translation. Yet we know that a person is made right with God, that's justification, by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. You'll notice Paul is repetitive three times. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Third time, for no one will be made right with God by obeying the law. That's three same things said in three different ways. And if you look at all the yellows, you see, what do you see? Can you say it out loud? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Christ. The red part, what do you see? Not by obeying. Not by obeying. Not by. In one verse, Paul is like my mom who says, clean your room in three different ways in like 10 seconds. And like just, he's hitting it. And it's like no ambiguity. You cannot be right with God by being good and obeying the law. It is only faith in Christ, period. Well, that's so easy. That's, that's it. That's the good news. And so that's Paul's point. And so we saw, we saw the modern version, but the modern version that we twist is this idea, and I want to kind of focus on this point. I think the key distortion of the gospel we believe today is this statement. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good, loving person. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good, loving person and everyone goes to heaven. That's on the rise today, again. Um, according to a recent poll by the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University, 48% of U.S. adults affirmed the statement, a person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven, quote-unquote. So here's an issue with that. If that is the case, the issue with that is, if God is so loving that all good people will go to heaven— it actually has this intolerant side to it. The intolerant side is, well, what about the bad people? <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't deserve heaven. They're, they're not good, good people. Who judges that? And so this well-intended thought that good, loving, kind people will go to heaven is actually intolerant and hopeless for those who are wretched and broken, and they are the ones that need a Savior. This is why works righteousness doesn't work. So they're basically saying, we don't care if you're a Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Mormon, atheist, um, anything. As long as you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. And the gospel says, listen, I don't care what Christianity, your faith, or religious upbringing you have. You all need a savior, period. And it puts us all together. So I wanted to go into it this way. Because that is becoming a growing trend. And some of us in our church might actually think that. You may have a family member whom you believe and want to be in paradise with us, with God. But they, are, they hate God. They are evil. The hope is not, well, they do have a goodness in their heart. That's not the hope. We need to pray for them and say, Christ, you're their hope. And there is hope because you're Christ. That's so much better and beautiful than, well, there's some goodness in their heart. So three problems if this is true that good people, loving people will all go to heaven. And this is as spoken by Galatians 2. Number one, here's the issue. The first issue is how does one measure good to be good enough? 
Are you good enough? How does one measure that? Like, hey, I helped a lady cross the street the other day. I'm not perfect, but that's a good person's job. I don't know. You know what happens when we base our acceptance by God by our performance? Let me share with you these words. First, you're insecure. You know why you're insecure? Because you don't know if you have enough good things in you. Two, you're boastful. You could either be boastful. Why? Because you compare yourself to others who are doing a worse job, and you realize, thank God I'm better than him. And it creates pride, which leads to judgmental. You become judgmental of others who can't live according to your perfection. They don't even go to church. Do you see that? They don't even take care of their mom. And so that's in me. That's in us. Third, we make it a burden. You're stressed out because your life is running short and you're like, have I been good enough? I better do more. Or I think a lot of young people are at this stage. You just give up and you're apathetic. I forget it. I can't be good enough. I give up. Life is lost. So none of these are helpful. None of these are true. So when we say good, loving people will go to heaven, this is what we're kind of living out. And so the other problem is you will never find gratitude, humility. You will never find generous, genuine reverence for God if you live this way because you're the Savior. You don't thank God. You thank yourself. I'm a good person. I joined Boy Scouts. I'm a good civic volunteer. You don't thank God. And so comparison never helps. I want to show you this. What color is this circle? White. Okay, white. It's pretty, pretty clear it's white. The same circle in the backdrop of true white. Ready? This is how it looks. Same circle. I'm not, I'm, I didn't fool, pull a trick on you. Why are we seeing that? white circle as this dirty brown beige now because the background changed when we compare ourselves to the other people other sinners well you all of you people look nice decent good i must have salvation i must go to heaven but the standard god measures us with jesus who's perfect how does your righteousness stand in view of god's holiness we're toast and so Psalm 103 says, Lord, if you have kept a record of our sins, oh, Lord, who could ever survive? It's God who keeps a check on us, not our performance compared to one another. Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So when we try to be good, even that goodness becomes evil. Now, Tim Keller said this, and I I wish he didn't say this, but it's true. Sin is not just doing bad things. It is taking good things and making them ultimate in your life. Prayer and preaching regularly contain sin. Do you know that as I preach, every single Sunday, I'm sinning in one way or the other? I'll tell you how. Boy, this sermon's out of the park. I'm doing a good job. Or this sermon stinks. I hate myself. What a stupid preparation. All of these things are sin. Even in our prayer, our prayers are so self-centered. God, it's about me, me, me. Even in our prayer, we are self-centered. So in other words, not to make it gloomy, but the reality of this, why we need the gospel is, even our best intentions are filled with sin. 
John Calvin calls it the depravity of man. And so if we are counting on our good works to become right with God, how are you all doing? You like that? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips is the response. Here's the second problem. If we think goodness, loving nature, people go to heaven. If I'm a criminal, can my good deeds volunteering at a homeless shelter undo my crime in the past? No, it can never undo it. If I robbed a bank, murdered someone, ran off to Kansas, but I volunteered at a homeless shelter, the government finds me, do they say, you know what, you're a murderer, but boy, you fed a lot of homeless people. We're going to expunge this sin. Does that happen that way in America? No. Our sins are never absolved by our good deeds. Let me put it more crassly. We have a dog. His name is Benji. Benji is supposed to poo and pee outside, but we have a mat for him just in case it rains. Dogs know that there's a mat. You pee and poo on the mat. Do dogs always follow obediently? No, so Benji decides to leave his present for us everywhere but the mat. Now, if I say to Kathy, hey, let's get a $10,000 Natuzzi leather Italian couch and cover it up. Let's go get a $100,000 painting and spruce up the room where there's pee and poo. That'll take care of this mess. You all know, does that help? I could throw a billion dollars at it. The poo is still there. It's just covered up. And so the problem with performance works righteousness by good deeds, it never dissolves the sin. Paul says this in 15, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. But that first line, verse 15, we ourselves are Jew by birth and not Gentile sinners. So they, Jews believed if you were a Gentile, you're born sinners. But look at what Paul's saying. Whether you're Jew or Gentile by birth, we all need to be justified, made right with God. Not just them. We all need to be justified, and it doesn't come through obeying the law. Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Not just the tattooed gangsters, not just the bloods and the crips, not just the people in the prison, all of us. Amen? Can we humbly in Lent say, Amen? Lord, have mercy. And so Paul makes this point, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you need justification. You need to be made right with God, and it comes only through faith. You can't cover it up. So why is Jesus our hope in that? Because Jesus is the one who became sin, so he could make us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The law can never make us righteous. In fact, Paul says in verse 19, whenever I try to keep the law, this is a new living translation, so I, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all his requirements so that I might live to God. Paul's realizing, wait a minute, I, it just dawned on me. Every time I follow the law, it doesn't make me more righteous. It makes me more aware of my sin. <laughs> I mean, you guys have a nice mirror at home? I hope you all, who has a mirror at home? So I went to Mexico for a mission trip, and we didn't have a mirror for a week. 
And so, you know, you wash your face, you eat, you do your thing, and you think after a week, you still feel clean. And then a mirror popped up. We went to a store, and then I saw a mirror. And then I went, oh, man, I haven't seen myself for five days in a clear mirror. And you don't realize how dirty you are. You feel clean. You think you're clean. You're like, I got dirt here. I got, like, you know, I didn't wash well here. And it was gross. And I think the lost job is not to make you feel better. <laughs> the lost job is to show us what, what a sinner we are, what sinners we are. So to follow and be accepted by God through obeying the Bible, if I follow all of this, God must surely accept me. No, the Bible's job is a mirror to show you you need a Savior who has done it. You can't do this on your own. And so this is, takes us to our third and last point. When somebody says good people go to heaven, here's the implication that offends me and it should offend you. What they're saying is, I know you believe Jesus Christ is your greatest love and more important, most important person in your whole life. But I'm so sorry, his death was a joke. It wasn't necessary because there was a secret. We could just be good. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, you guys have your good Friday. I respect your religion. But his death was basically meaningless. And so, Jesus, was he just a teacher? Was he a political leader, religious leader? Was he just a martyr? Or was he the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Was he the way, the truth, and the life? And there's no way to God the Father through, except through him. And the gospel is liberating because it tells us the only person I need is Jesus Christ. That's why I shared this illustration with the lollipops. Hey, you guys can't do this, but Nathan Flores jumped in and he fulfilled the requirements. We can't have eternal life. We can't have acceptance with God, but there is Jesus Christ who jumped in, was sent, born in Bethlehem, lived, grew up, died on the cross, rose again on the third day. He fulfills the law. And we say, thanks be to God. He is my redeemer. Um, there's someone in our, that I know who gave me instructions for his funeral. And this is what he wrote. At my funeral, I do not want you to talk about me. I want you to talk about my Lord. Don't make the funeral about me. I want you to talk about my Lord. Did you know that's the Presbyterian theology of funerals? We don't celebrate the person. We thank God for them. We remember them. We honor them. But the funeral is not, it's not worshiping the person. It's worshiping the God who claimed this person. Even in death, they will have resurrection because of Jesus Christ. So that's why we call it the service of witness to the resurrection. We can't talk about them. I think we should. But the person we should really be proclaiming in the face of death is Jesus Christ. That's why we always share the gospel. And so I think this person's right. At my funeral, I want you to party. Uh, that's a, I don't want to. But, but at the end, sinners need a rescue. And we're going to sing this in a moment after communion. And listen to the words. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Why does this tremble? 
because he's not asking if you verified it. He's asking, were you there when my justification was happening? Were you there in that moment my Savior died and gave himself for me? Were you there when you were hopelessly dead in sin, but Jesus took on all the world's burdens and nailed it to that tree? Were you there? It causes me to tremble. 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 Were you there? Righteousness, acceptance by God, thanks be to God, doesn't come from our efforts and our works, but through him. Amen? And so we gather at this table on this communion Sunday, and this is why we celebrate communion. That, Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner at this table, especially in the season of Lent. I don't come to you with my own uprightness. I don't walk in here thinking like, boy, God, you are lucky to have me. <laughs> we come saying we are just beggars. Who, are you? Who am I that you would die for us? And so we gather, remember the words of Christ. We celebrate this grace with joy and relish. And so as we say, on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread after giving thanks and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup, saying, this is a new covenant sealed in my blood, which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way as we celebrate this communion together, we proclaim his death and his resurrection, and we look forward to his return when we culminate and finally have a true homecoming. And so let's take a moment before I pray out loud. Would you take a moment in this season of Lent especially to reflect not on your goodness, but just in your genuine condition before God and say, God, here I am. Here are my sins or here here are my thoughts. Here are my burdens. Here are my worries. And God, even the worries of the world, we pray for the world and the brokenness and the shatteredness of the world. We come to you at your feet with all of this sin and say, Jesus, your grace and your grace alone is the answer. So would you pray? And before we are invited to come up, we would just prepare our hearts and just strip it and lay it bare. And then let me pray for us. God, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we come to you, the body broken and the blood poured out, remembering that your grace is more than enough to cover even the worst and the biggest of sins. And so we are drawn to you. We put our faith in you, Jesus. We trust you. We believe you. We believe that you died and rose again to glorify God and to bring Sinners, Jews, and Gentiles alike into the fold. As we take this bread and drink this cup, 
May we have reverence and gratitude. May we tremble at the precious gift that you gave to undeserved people like us. And may we be alive in that life we have with you and the hope we carry. In your name we pray. Amen.